So, I don't know about you, but from last week's message in chapter one to what we've heard from Christian Jess, there's, there's a definite kind of clear thread through what James is saying, through the, the arguments he's giving, the, the practical advice he's giving. And fortunately for us, that isn't just James on a rant, that's God really laying something on his heart that he really wants to get across to us all. It's this emphasis on genuine faith, on religion that upholds itself in our actions. Faith in God's words and his promises that's lived out. That we hear God's words and we do as it says. That we, coming from a place of acknowledging all God has already done for us and understanding how undeserving we are of it, don't show favouritism and judgement, for example. In the second part of chapter 2, it takes a broader look at this idea of how God's words and our belief should impact our lives practically. I wonder, if I say I believe God has made us all equal and has commanded us to love one another, how is my faith being lived out if, for example, through the, my shopping habits and demands, as like Christian referred to, how does that reflect what I believe? If I say I really believe God has put a, a cause or, or a group of people on my heart, but I give my resources, um, my prayer time, my energy sparingly, how is my actions reflecting my faith that God is my provider, that he wants to work through me to build his kingdom? And similarly, how am I living out a godly lifestyle if a goodwill gesture, let's say a birthday gift, is given primarily for the purpose of what I'll get in response, someone's attention, someone's friendship, maybe a gift when it's my birthday, instead of genuinely being generous and loving. The thing to pick out is that the sincerity and the motivation behind our deeds is really important. It gives them a value. Now, in the second part of um, chapter 2, James is preaching to the Jews. He's preaching to the converts. There will be some religious leaders in the crowd. These are people who have a really strong religious heritage, who perhaps feel that through that they're made righteous before God. Their, their head knowledge, their theolo- theological knowledge, that that justifies them before the Lord. Following on from chapter 1, when it's on about us hearing the word of God, reading it in the Bible, but not doing it, it's this bridging of the gap that James is trying to get across. He's not separating our beliefs, our faith, and the deeds we do in life. He's not comparing or contrasting them. But he's saying how our deeds complete our faith through a full acknowledgement of the grace, of the love, of the promises of God, that that overflows into our actions. As Paul writes in Galatians 5, verse 6, faith works through love. He's comparing genuine faith, which is lived out in actions, to dead faith, head knowledge, arguably, that he says can't save us. When we realise who Jesus is, we want to change the way we act. We want to follow his rules because he's better than earthly things. We want to share the grace and love he's shown us with those around us. Another time faith and deeds is, is chatted about in the Bible is through Paul and his letters. And some can see this as contrasting because Paul is saying faith on its own is enough to justify us. But the key thing here is when James talks about faith, he's on about this belief This this knowledge on its own, 
not being lived out. And when Paul's talking about faith, he's talking about this genuine faith. It's all-inclusive, invades every part of your lifestyle kind of faith. And James is correcting this misunderstanding, perhaps, that's happened over time. His, his style, his almost argumentative style in the text, suggests he's addressing a false message that's been picked up by these people who, who are attending church and reading their Bibles, who know these truths, but are not letting it invade every part of their lifestyle. James's message makes sense. James's whole book is simple, in a way. I don't think there are many of us here that, that will have heard verses 15 and 16, where it's about the, the guy who um, says to the homeless person, go in peace, keep warm, and, and be well fed, but there's nothing about it. We can notice what's wrong with that. Yet we're all still guilty, some if not most of the time, of not living this out. And it's breaking down what, what's stopping us, what's stopping us from seeing this truth, this, this belief that, that we accept and say, yeah, that's right, but not living it out. This faith on its own, not lived out through our deeds, is not fully acknowledging who God is, his love for us. It's a reluctance to let the full truth of God's promises overwhelm our hearts, leading us to action. Not fully in awe of what he's done, so much so that it has a natural impact on our lives as the truth is so deeply rooted, there's no other choice but to let it overflow into our deeds. It doesn't bridge the gap between the words we say and the truths we express, like we sung earlier, riches I need not, nor man's empty praise, but actually... If the world likes what I'm doing in that area of my life, I'm reluctant to let my beliefs interfere with that. Deeds on their own, similarly, can look no different from a kind non-believer if they're not motivated by faith. A non-believer can give to charity, can be generous with their time, can be kind and compassionate to those in need, but combined with a faith in Jesus and a knowledge of who God is makes it so much more countercultural. To have prayer as your first point of call. When you're ill, the fact that God is our healer, go to him with it. When you make mistakes, God is the redeemer, God is the forgiver. We don't have to strive for an accepted apology from someone who's imperfect. But to be reliant on God to restore us. When we have a decision, a fork in the road, do we go with what society says is most secure, maybe, maybe the best paid job, or do we say, no, God's the wisest here. Do we go to him? God wants our faith in him and our dependency on him to grow so that we're best equipped to live lives that speak of his grace, that demonstrate his love, that bring him the glory. Like mentioned in the verse, James mentions Abraham, who is willing to sacrifice his greatest earthly treasure, the thing he loves most, his son. He mentions Rahab, who literally risks the life of her entire family because of her faith in God. Even though she's hiding, people who are imperfect, who perhaps may not even get their message across when they go back home, and she may end up dying for what she's done, but her life is completely impacted to the point where she kind of doesn't really have a choice about it because she knows God is so for her and God is so real and so deserving of anything she can do. Giving without fear of going without, of having less because God provides. Loving without a selfish constraint because God tells us to love our enemies and God is the strength of our hearts. 
working perhaps what's beyond expected for the benefit of others, because God sees our integrity, even if the world doesn't see it, congratulate us and say, oh, you know, I'll pay you for that over time. The world tells us our faith, our beliefs should be private. There's this, se- this separation of secular and divine, but God's love crosses those boundaries. This expectation shouldn't hold us back. But perhaps for some of us, it's a fear of the unknown. Despite the fact we're no longer slaves to fear, there's a worry of what can this actually look like for us? What might I have to sacrifice? What might I have to change in where I get my worth and my identity if I fully let my beliefs in and let go, give it to God? It's so easy to walk out of here today and feel such a burden, feel that we need to prove our faith through what we do. But proving our faith leads to feeling that we need to prove our love and feeling that we need to prove our love makes us think that we need to earn it and we so don't. God's given it. God's done it. True faith includes these deeds and so much more than doing good and striving. It's actions that are obedient to God who's talking to us all the time. It's in service to God who's already done so much for us already. It's letting our faith invade and transform every part of our lives. What good is it to have this faith if we never actually utilise the gifts and the promises God has given to us? To live to the full potential of what God wants us to do through us and in us. To realise what he has, is and can do through us. Living in God's proof, truth and acting in the faith of his promises. So to summarise, James isn't separating faith and deeds. It's, it's a flow, it's a cycle, if you like, that our faith produces our deeds. And living, stepping out in faith, produces more of it. When we see, actually, God promised that, he provided that. Next time, it won't be such a big jump to be so dependent on God. Deeds come out of a place of acknowledging who God is and what he's already done. And it's not a case of proving our faith, but of expressing it. We, the church, are in this together. So don't go away thinking, oh, I should do this. I should do that. I think we could do this. We can do this. And I just want to leave you with this quote from a favourite band of mine, but it isn't a song of theirs, but it's good. It says, you never be changed by the love of God until you're completely honest with yourself of how undeserving you are of it. Only when we try to love God will we see our utter inability to do so. And only when we understand that inability, we begin to be in awe of his great love towards us. In other words, to be a Christian is to live a life of response.